Happy New Year, everybody. All right, uh, we're going to resume in Hebrews chapter 11. We're taking a look at a guy named Enoch tonight. Interesting character. Tomorrow, uh, my wife and I leave uh, for Dallas to go to uh, Gail's funeral, Gail McWilliams. So our flight's at 6.05, have to get there at 5.05, have to leave by 4.05, have to get up at 3.30, (laughs) 5. Amen, thanks. Appreciate the encouragement. I'll be back Saturday and then uh, Sunday service and just looking forward. God's been blessing tremendously, even through all the difficulties. It's been sweet. Uh, And yesterday we we, uh, left uh, yesterday to go to San Diego for my sister's 60th. Uh, birthday, and um, and then came back late last night, and it was uh, interesting because as we took a look at uh, Cain and Abel and the two divergent streams, um, uh, you witness that in your own family as you're sitting at a table with, you know, it was, it's my my three siblings, myself, so there's a four of us. My sister Nancy has uh, four kids. We have five. Gretchen doesn't have any. Lauren has three, and you see each of the families on how they've applied faith or the absence of faith, and you can see these divergent streams and the interesting conversations taking place at the table, and um, I, the, the member of our family remains nameless, but they drank so much that they ended up getting sick, and you're watching this, and, and you know, I'm looking at my family, I'm just so overjoyed and proud of them, and I'm looking at my son-in-laws, and I'm looking at my grandson, I'm looking at our, our, our little baby girl to come, and uh, grand, grandbaby, our granddaughter, and, and I'm so proud of them, and I'm kind of grasping it all, and being the youngest, I've observed all this through my lifetime, and God is faithful. He's just so faithful. Um, being the youngest, I was always the one, well, he hasn't figured out his way yet, and, uh, you know, I'm going, you know, pursuing the Lord. I mean, you, you go through times of poverty and trial and difficulty, and and uh, you, you rejoice in the Lord, and some people pursue some things, some people pursue others, and, and you get to a stage in life where you look behind you and you realize as it says in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And I look behind me and I just see no matter what mess I made at the beginning, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And and it's a family that I, I don't deserve, that I'm so thankful for, and it's it's the Lord's hand in it all. And um, so part of it was sad, but part of it was encouraging and it was a blessing. And I tell you what, when you commit yourself and your family to the word of God, you look behind you and you see goodness and mercy have just made a, a wonderful blessing of your life. And uh, I'm I'm grateful, and so tonight we're going to take a look at a, another character. We looked at Cain and Abel in our last study, and and we're going through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, and we're coming up to a guy named Enoch. And so I'm going to read beginning in verse one because that is the foundation of faith, and we're taking a look at it, and then I'm going to go through all the way to verse six. Let me pray, Lord. We ask your blessing on the study of your Word, and we thank you, God, that your Word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we ask tonight, Lord, that we would come alive to your Word by your Spirit, that our lives would be strengthened and blessed. And we are so grateful that you give us the words of life. And, Lord, you establish our steps. And the steps of a righteous man or woman are established by the Lord. And we look back and we realize how faithful you are, even when we're not. And so, God, we just want to say thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And and that's interesting because we can't see atoms. We can't see electrons. We can't see neutrons. They're invisible to the human eye, but yet everything is held together. And they, they call this word, you know, it's Coulomb's law of electricity where uh, like charges repel, opposite charges attract, Correct. I'm no scientist, and somebody can refute this, but really, if if you think about it, is, is the electron and the neutron are positive and negative charges? They should implode, and we should just and and yet there there's this balance between the two, and there's a space, and and no one knows why they don't implode. Um, and and the scripture says all things are held together by the word of His power. Um, I I kind of like that. And and really, uh, fire will destroy the earth, and it's just going to be the spoken word of Christ, and everything will implode. And I guess that's Adam's implode. I don't know, but uh, that's just kind of cool. So I decided to throw that out there. Let's move on. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We saw that where the fire consumed it. Uh, one was by faith, realizing that an animal needed to be offered. And here we see this... Um, 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. And that gift was he brought a, uh, a lamb, uh, the skin of a lamb, as we saw in Genesis. And, uh, and that was a testimony that uh, blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And he was testifying because even Adam and Eve understood that when God covered them in skins. And then Cain's offering was of his hands. It's, it's trying to obtain righteousness by what we do as opposed to what Christ has done. And that separates Christianity from every religion in the world. Every religion in the world is trying to do something to earn God's favor. Christianity is receiving what Christ has already done. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't work to be saved. We, we do good works because we are saved. It's out of uh, adoration, not obligation. So that's, that's the difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice. And then we come down to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. By the way, there's only two people in all Scripture that please God. Only two people. Can you name them? Oh, Enoch's one of them. Sure, yeah, you read that, didn't you? Well done. Anyone else? Nope. He was a man after God's own heart, but never did it say he pleased God. Close. Mm -mm. Jesus, right. So I'd say that Enoch's in pretty good company, wouldn't you? So we obviously should learn about this man. And I actually asked a question so I could drink water. But without faith, and pay attention to verse 6, it's very important, but without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? That's another question. Hang on. That he is what? God. Yes. Thank you. So he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not a God of, uh, he's not a capricious God. You seek him, you find him, and when you find him, you're rewarded, you're blessed. And so this is the picture. <clears throat> so we see this, this picture of, uh, of Enoch, and we're going to need to learn a little bit about him. And so I pulled up some scriptures that speak of him. So if you would, turn with me, and we're going to take a look at the original which is in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. So if you turn there, I would greatly appreciate it. And in Genesis chapter 5, hold your finger there and then find Jude. And there's only one chapter of Jude, so you just have to put your finger there in Jude. Only one chapter in Jude. It's in the New Testament. Obscure book. Interesting. Get some insights that you don't find in any other New Testament writings. So let's begin with Genesis 5. Because Genesis means beginning. So that's where we're going to begin. Verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So after after, uh, 65 years, he gives birth to a son whose name is Methuselah. And then after he gives birth to Methuselah, so 65 years, he's not walking with the Lord. After 65 years, the scripture says that he gives birth to Methuselah, and he walks with God 300 years. He has more sons and daughters, but Methuselah is very important in the text. And the fact that he begins to walk with God after Methuselah is born is important to the text. And he lives 365 years, and then he walks with God, and he was not. And the idea is he's translated. He's taken up. We know that Elijah was taken up. We know that Enoch was taken up. They didn't see death. And, um, and it's very interesting. Not only is Enoch one of only two people where he pleased God, Jesus is the other one, but he's one of only two that didn't see death. He was translated. He was taken up. And a fascinating insight, a very powerful picture we're going to see in a moment as to why that is. And then this term walked with God, walked with God. Walking with God is not measured by steps as much as it's measured by substance, character, morality. Uh, The idea is that his life was enveloped in what God desired and the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So the way he walked in life was always honoring God, walking by faith. Um, this idea of pleasing God by faith. Everything he did, he did with a mindset of heaven that he was just passing through. 
the decisions he made were righteous. The decisions he made were just. The, the way he lived was always recognizing God in every affair of his life. And so this is, this is that concept of walking with God. <clears throat> and then God is pleased by him. He's taken up into heaven, doesn't see death. And now let's go over to Jude. Um, and we're going to begin with verse 14 in Jude. And, and, and it begins by saying, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And the reason why uh, Jude takes time to point that out is because he's the seventh generation from Adam, but after Seth, there was an Enoch from the lineage of Seth. And the scripture's saying, that's not the guy we're talking about. We're talking about the seventh guy from the generation of Adam, which is Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, so we know that he was a prophet. He prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We don't know where Jude got this. Uh, It's not in a text that we can find, but he refers to Enoch as a prophet, and these are his words. Verse 16, uh, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostle of our Lord Jesus, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time or the last days who would walk according to their own godly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in love with God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even, even the garment that defiles the flesh. And then he closes the, his writing by saying, Not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So these are the passages of Scripture that relate to Enoch, and um, interesting character. Um, something happened to Enoch when he was 65 years old. Something happened to Enoch when he was 65 years old. He has a child, and the child's name is Methuselah. And this changed his whole, whole world. When Molly was born, my whole world changed. Um, and each of the succeeding children that came, something different happened. Responsibility increases as a father. Most men are scared to enter into marriage, and then you're even more frightful when children come along because you realize that your responsibility and, and your self-focus and all these things dissipate because the reason why people don't want to have children is because children require selflessness. Uh, if you're going to raise them right, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow the Lord, and you have to avoid not wanting to kill them. And the reward is grandchildren, which is a, an amazing gift. Um, and so Enoch gives birth to Methuselah at 65 years of age, and then his whole life changes because the Scripture says that he walked with God from that point forward. Now, uh, Molly was born. My life changed, certainly. Uh, but I can say that, that uh, if you take a, um, a, a view of my life from the time of Molly's birth till my age now at 52, I can't say that every day I've walked with God, and there's been some seasons there where uh, you're just really struggling in my faith and, and, and having lapses of faith. Um, yet God has been faithful through that process of time. But in no way do I see myself as an Enoch, nor would I, you know, the Scripture says that he pleased God. I would love to have my name written in the Scriptures as he pleased God, but I can think of thousands of ways in which I didn't please the Lord as opposed to the times I have. Um, and, and if we're going to put that on a scale, the times that I didn't please God would far outweigh the times that I did. Um, we're going to see with Abraham that, that uh, Abraham was a friend with God, uh, we're going to see that in relation to Abraham, because he obeyed the Lord, um, you know, God blessed him. But you look at Abraham's life, he didn't obey the Lord. Uh, when, when he went to Canaan, um, when he went up into that region, there was a drought in the land. He went into Egypt. God didn't tell him to go there. He ends up bringing out um, Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid. He ends up having a child by her that creates Ishmael, and Ishmael and Isaac are still at war with each other to this day. And yet God said that that you know, because Abraham uh, obeyed the Lord. He didn't always obey the Lord. But what happens is God has this ability to forget our failures and remember our successes. He chooses not to remember. 
And so when he looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you in his son's righteousness. We're cleansed and covered by the blood of Christ. And only those things that are done for Christ will last. So he sees us in the entirety of, his, of our life based on faith, by observing and walking with God. But yet for us, if, if we're to look at our own lives, we still have a memory. And I always struggle. I remember I shared this with folks that at the 15th anniversary when people were saying nice things, I'm listening to the pastors talk about my life and people say things and Governor Huckabee was speaking and on and on and on. I'm sitting there with a smile externally on my face, but internally I'm thinking of all the times I miss the opportunity to serve and the people I let down. And, and I was the one having the hardest time probably at that celebration because, um, and, and I think in a sense all of us are harder on ourselves, but yet the Lord takes great pleasure in, in our lives in those, se- in those seasons where we are walking with him because those are the things that touch people's lives. And those are the things that people were speaking of and they were gracious enough to forget the times I let them down. Uh, I, I look around the room and I can think just looking around a number of people I've had the distinct opportunity to let you down and yet you're still here and that just speaks of the grace and mercy of God and so here uh, when we look at Methuselah or excuse me when we look at Enoch at 65 years of age he gives birth to Methuselah and something radically changes in his life so profoundly that it's different than all of us um, even with having children in our lives <clears throat> and what was that that had such a significant transformation. Well, to understand that, we have to look at this, this picture of, of uh, Enoch and what was taking place in the time of, of uh, Methuselah's birth. So if you would, uh, turn with me to Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24. We're going to take a look at Jesus speaking in verse 32. Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 36. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the, day of, the days of Noah, um, what happened is sin entered the world. Uh, Cain murders Abel. It starts to manifest itself because people lived hundreds of years. You can imagine the population of the earth was plentiful, um, continuing to have children, being fruitful and multiplying. And it says, for as in the days of Noah, verse 38, uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the, the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Um, Now, quickly, if you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the picture of this is what we consider in Calvary Chapel to be the rapture. The rapture. The rapture is, uh, Calvary Chapel, we hold what is called a pre-trib, pre-tribulation uh, view where the saints will be raptured prior or before the tribulation. We won't go through the tribulation. Now, for us to say that, if we were to talk, and, that, and that's a pretty bold statement, because for us to say that to folks in the Middle East who are Christians, that the minute they profess Christ, they'll be beheaded, to say that, they're not gonna, that we're not going to go through a tribulation to those 
those Coptic Christians that were taken to the shores of the Mediterranean, beheaded by the, their Muslim captors, uh, they would consider this passage a bit shocking. Now, they're going through tribulation. Mind you, any Christian in North Korea is going through tribulation. Some of our brothers and sisters in China are going through tribulation. We can go through the 1040 window, longitude and latitude, where 95% of the Muslim world exists. Any Christian existing there, I guarantee you, is going through tribulation. We don't understand tribulation here. Uh, We've experienced a bit of persecution, but not much to speak of. But our brothers and sisters in other areas of the world are in prison right now for their faith. And they would consider the fact that they're pre-trib saints, that they won't go through tribulation before the rapture. Well, it didn't say that there wouldn't be tribulation. It's the tribulation that would come upon the entirety of the earth. God will remove his people prior to the tribulation. And really, that is an interesting picture because if you remove saints from the earth, gone will be all of the foundational principles of which we stand, this idea of absolutes, that they're absolutes, moral absolutes as well, that we're governed by. These are natural laws of God that our founders declared. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All of the voices speaking towards that will be removed. And so every man will do what is right in their own eyes. And there's going to be, you know, an animal mentality, survival of the fittest, right? And there's not going to be anyone there to tell them it's wrong. There's not going to be anyone there with conviction. And you're just going to try to survive and get along as best you can. And that's going to be the issue of it. And most of the people remaining will have no heart for the Lord or any desire. And they're actually going to be an all-out rebellion to God that we don't need you. And we're going to build a, a structure to the heavens. Uh, who is God that we would need him? And we're going to be, the, the remainder of the folks on this earth are going to be like Pharaoh. Who is God that I should obey him? And, and that's what's going to remain on the earth. And so this, this concept of tribulation in the, in the coming of Christ that he's going to rapture his saints is one where many scholars believe this is what Enoch is talking about. And I'll explain it to you in a minute. But let me read to you. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read to you out of Second Peter chapter 3 starting with verse 10 it says but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up therefore since all these things will be dissolved what manner listen pay attention what manner pay attention what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god which because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, as we talked about these invisible elements holding the world together. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Blameless. These are pictures that we see in the Scripture of the rapture and the coming of the Lord. And when the scripture says in Matthew, where I I read earlier, he says of the thief, he says, but on that, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father only. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be for in that day before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark. And then it says, until the flood came and took them away, so also will the coming of the Lord be, or coming of the Son of the man, Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field; one will be taken, the other left. So one is faithful, the other isn't. They're both working. One's gone. I don't know if his clothes will remain, but the guy's like, "Where'd, where'd Joe go?" You know, and and Harry's still there, going, "Hey, we were just talking about the Lord, and I was arguing with him, and he's gone now." Uh, and then the other says, uh, two women will be grinding at the meal. One will mill and one will be left, and the other taken. Where's Betty? And Sue will be wondering. Uh, if your name's Sue, I, I didn't mean anything by it. But then he says this, watch therefore, Jesus says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. If you come across a note saying, hey, tonight, let's break into 879 Kenmore Circle, um, and and I'll I'll meet you at the top of the cul-de-sac, and uh, I'll meet you there at 1115. And I come across this note, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to have Mike over with his concealed weapons permit. I'm going to have my 9mm out. I'm going to be waiting for folks to come through, and hey, surprise, and, you know, high-speed lead infusion. And that's going to be, and we'll be waiting, won't we? 
But 11.15 comes, midnight, 12.30, you start getting a little heavy-eyed, and you realize you got to get up at 3.30 to catch a flight at 6.05, and you're tired, and you just fall asleep. And you start to become lackadaisical the more it doesn't seem as though that hour is coming. But the Lord says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You'll be marrying, given in marriage. You'll be eating and drinking, making merry. And really, in the days of Noah, we know that there was no righteousness on the earth, and, and Noah was a righteous man. He and his family were saved and delivered from that. They were the only ones righteous on the earth. The world had taken such a turn of events that the world had abandoned God and had gone the way of Cain. And the testimony of the Lord, he finally just said, I'm going to place judgment on the earth. Now, what does God do before he places judgment on the earth in, in the days of Noah? He removed the righteous. He put them in an ark and he saved them. And so really what you see here in, in Matthew's writings could possibly be understood as before God brings judgment on the earth, he'll remove the righteous as he did in the days of Noah. And, and we'll be caught up, um, as it says in, in 1 Thessalonians, we'll be taken up. In the twinkling of an eye, the sound of the trumpets of an archangel will be taken up. Two will be at the, you know, plowing a field. Two will be grinding. One will be left. One, one will remain. And, and this is the picture that we see. This is where you get this concept of a rapture. Now, not all of Christendom believes that, and your, your view of eschatology, and eschatology means study of the end times. It may not be the case, but I have to tell you, just in the study of Enoch, it's an interesting one, because when you look at Enoch, his life changed when? When Methuselah was born, his life had a, uh, an enormous change when Methuselah was born. And the flood didn't come as a surprise. It had been preached on for four generations because the scripture says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he lived a long time, and he built this, this ark where there was no water. And we still have remnants of the ark, and we, we still know of its existence, and and it's a testimony, and I believe in the end times you're going to see this, and you'll be without excuse. Uh, there's, there's areas up in Mount Ararat where it's cordoned off by Turkish troops, and we have pictures, and I, I've, I've spoken to Armenians that are in Fresno who remember great-grandfathers standing on big pieces of, of white oak with bituminous pitch and having, you know, this, this is that picture that you see. And, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the end times. But they knew... They knew, as, as Noah preached for over 100 years, four generations, he began to preach to them of righteousness, that, that God is going to judge the earth. Nobody listened. They would come and mock him and ridicule him as he's building an ark in the middle of nowhere. And this is by faith. He's obeying God, and it almost seems ludicrous. Why are you building this massive ark where there is no water, you idiot? <clears throat> and he would say, you have no idea there's going to be judgment on the earth. A righteous God is going to come and judge man. And the things you're doing, you need to repent. What was the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means change. You're not serving God. Turn and obey the Lord. Walk in righteousness. And Enoch walked in righteousness. And something, as I said before, happened to Enoch at 65 years of age that he began to walk with God and that idea of 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 a moral transformation of his life where you looked at him and you saw something distinctly different. He didn't drink anymore. He gave up smoking. He gave up all these things that were contrary to what God wanted. And, and his mouth was controlled by the Lord. His life was controlled by the Lord. The way he operated, his, he was just and merciful and kind. There was just, and, and you've seen that. I, I, I've seen people come to Christ. The, the, the change in their life is so distinct that everyone is without excuse. What, what alien abducted you and and replaced you with this person in front of me it doesn't make any sense and as i've said before when i go back for my class reunion i was just going through my mind it'll be our 35th class reunion this july i go back for that people look and say who are you who are you and and this is that that idea of how god changes your life i i don't think there's been a change but it's been incremental over time but they look and they say that that's distinctively different as you know, I'll leave that alone. I'm, I'd be tooting my horn, so I don't want to do that. But in this picture, <clears throat> Enoch was given a prophecy, and the prophecy is found in the name of his son. And we know that he was a prophet because he said, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them 
of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We saw that in Jude. We know that he's preaching righteousness and he's saying, God's coming. How does he know that? Methuselah. Where did Enoch get this prophecy that he's proclaiming it to this world? Methuselah. What changed Enoch's life that prior, 65 years of living prior to, now he walks with the Lord for 300 years. What changed? Methuselah. Why Methuselah? Well, we're going to see something very interesting in the names given in Genesis. Adam, write this down if you want. You don't have to. Adam, his name translated means man. Man. Seth, his name means appointed. <clears throat> Enosh means mortal. Kenan, K-E-N-A-N, means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. And here comes Methuselah. You ready? His death shall bring judgment. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah means rest or comfort. So let's look at the gospel in the names of the patriarchs. Man appointed moral sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing either rest or comfort. There's your gospel. Methuselah means when he dies, judgment comes. What changed at 65 years of age? The name of his son through the prophecy that God had given him that when your boy dies, judgment comes. What happened after Methuselah died? The flood. It started to rain big time. Yeah, more rain than we needed even in California. The flood came and wiped out the earth except for Noah's family. Okay, you're not impressed. How about this? You want to talk about God. It, it, he pleased God. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a merciful, gracious God, patient and long-suffering, the scripture says, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. He, he endeavors with man, even in our sinful condition, as he did in mine. But he won't, he won't strive with man forever. But doggone it if he doesn't give us grace and mercy extended. And the longer he allows people to be on the earth, the more sin continues. And sin creates the misery that we're in. And the absence of righteous people walking in the way of Abel causes the world to implode. And the less testimony we have, because we're not walking righteous, if you're going to be put on trial for being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you of that? Is there a radical transformation that people can say of Enoch? He walked with God. That makes sense. And in the absence of men and women walking with God, allowing their moral condition to be the order of their steps, that people look and say, that is a righteous man or that is a righteous woman. In the absence of that, the world begins to implode. And if you want to wipe out sin, you have to wipe out sinners because they're the source of sin. But God would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved. So he allows us to remain. And we're on this earth from point A, which is birth, to point B, which is death, to be reconciled to God so that we might walk with him, have our lives transformed. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is believing. Faith is this. Faith is, I can't earn my salvation. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I believe that what Jesus Christ did on that cross was for me, and I receive that by faith. And I'm saved by grace, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I didn't earn my salvation. God gave it to me. And the good works I do, walking in righteousness, is not out of obligation, but out of adoration. I want the world to know the same God I know. And I want them to see how he radically transformed my life because I am a living epistle written on the hearts of men for all to read. And they look and they say, something is different about that man or something is different about that woman. I want to talk about a good God. Methuselah. When he dies, judgment comes. That kid got so much as a cold. You're on the phone to the doctor, 
right? Where's the pediatrician? You didn't want anything to happen to that kid. Oh, don't fall down. He probably walked around in a bubble suit. I'm guessing. You know who the oldest man ever recorded in the face of the earth lived longer than any other human being? Methuselah. Why? Because God is patient, long-suffering, wanting that none would perish but that all would be saved. That's a good God. Now, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I mean, I got my get out of free card. Why do I need to walk with the Lord, right? And if I'm being put on trial for being a Christian, yeah, there's maybe not enough evidence to convict me, but I know that I gave my heart to the Lord. I know I got my get out of free card. I remember I raised my hand in that service. While the world around you is imploding because there's no testimony in your life. As it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You just kind of put God on the back burner and go about your life because you got your get out of free card. But the thing that was so radical about Enoch is that when that son was born and that prophecy was given, he was ready for the thief to come in the night. Every day he was expecting. And the question for all of us is, do we really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? And do we believe that he's Lord of our life? And do we believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? You see, this, this life of faith is not one where it's a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe going, oh, 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 oh can't have any fun. Oh, oh, oh. And you're just Eeyore moaning and groaning that God wants to change your life and you don't want to give him that. Oh, he's putting me through another trial. Or do we rejoice in saying, you know, all things work together for good and give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And do we play that game, where's Waldo, but instead call where's Jesus and look for Jesus in the midst of the trial and say, I see it, Lord. I don't see it now, but I trust you that it'll come and I will continue to be faithful. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Is that our attitude or is it God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted and I just, I'm angry with him. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a talk with him. Well, that's gonna be really good. I remember Don McClure, you know, giving that story where, you know, he, he, he became blind in his eye and then he lost the lower lobe of his lung and he was going through these trials and then his back gave out and he's just saying, I got questions for God. And, you know, God's, you know, he's, I, I can imagine the humor in heaven when you get up there and you go, I got questions for God. And they go, oh, right over to this room. And you, you go over to that room with your, you know, your eye and your lower lobe of your lung gone and you walk in and you're like, I want to know why I was blind why you took the lower lobe of my lung and hurt my back. He says, well, here's Isaiah. You talk to him, who the scripture says was, was sawn asunder, cut in half. And he's, he's standing next to himself, you know. And, 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 and there's Peter, who was crucified upside down, and Paul holding his head, going, no, go ahead, tell me what's wrong. His head's, oh, his eye. Hey, everybody, <laughs> he lost his eye. Oh, oh poor Don, <laughs> Right? Temporary suffering, eternal glory. Everything working together for good. Is that your mindset or is it whining? Is there willingness to surrender these things to God or do you really believe that he can walk you through this? Do you believe that he can change your life? And the struggle of it for us is that we go through life and like with Enoch where it says here, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I put some thoughts down that are far beyond my own that I think will be a blessing to you tonight, and I want to share them with you. Um, this idea of why faith pleases God. Why does faith please God? We know that Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So, what is the chief aim of man, according to the Westminster Confession, but more importantly, according to Revelation 4.11, what is the chief purpose of man on the earth? That's the Shema, but here it is in Revelation 4.11. It says, the chief aim of man is to bring glory to God. 
What is glory? Substance. That the world would look at you and say, you are a person of character. Your walk is not measured by your steps, but by your character. You walk with God, it's evident. That's the chief aim of man. You're here for no other reason. Pay attention. You're here for no other reason than to bring glory to God. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. You're not here to amass wealth for yourself. You're not here to live in abject comfort. and you're not, That's not it. You're not here to avoid you know, trial. You're not here to avoid difficulty. You're not here to avoid person. You're here to bring glory to God in whatever capacity that is. And, and, and to see him in every step of your life because you walk with God. And you glorify him in the trial. Give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do we go through the trial and then begin to whine as though God had let us down? As though he's unfaithful, he's unfair. Faith, why faith pleases God. I like what this author says. He says, the author gives his answer in the last part of verse 6. First, he makes the claim without faith it is impossible to please God. Then he gives the foundation. Here's the bottom of it all. You can't please God without faith for because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Because of this only, by faith, can we please God. First, he says that faith believes that, ready? First, he says that faith believes that God exists. That's hard for some people. Because if God exists, we're accountable to him. Right? Secondly, he says that faith believes that God is the rewarder of those who seek him because faith is these two things. It pleases God. He just says that he is. There is something about the nature of God that makes this obvious. It doesn't need an argument. It belongs to the very essence of what it means to be God, that God should be pleased by these two things. He is real, and he is a rewarder. He is real, and he is a rewarder. He is real, and he is a rewarder. Behind these two assertions about God are two great facts. Here we go. One, God exists absolutely. He did not come into being. He will never go out of being. He is not becoming or growing or changing. He said in Exodus 3.14, you know his name, I am that I am. He's a self-existent one. Secondly, behind the assertion that God is rewarding is the fact that God is so full and so completely self-sufficient that he overflows. And what does God say of us when we walk with God? From your innermost being will flow torrents of living water. It'll bless everyone around you. You're so filled with the Holy Spirit, you overflow. The three prepositions in the Greek for our relationship with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in, with, and upon. He's with all mankind, the paraclete, parallel lines. He comes alongside, convicts man of sin. He's in those who receive Christ as their Savior. He comes in, and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he comes upon, a P in the, in the Greek, he comes upon you. From your innermost being will flow torrents of living water. The picture is when you're baptized and you come out of the water, and I watch this, it's such a great picture to me. You come out of the water completely soaking, and what's the first thing you do? You go up and find somebody you love, and what do you do? You, you hug them. And when you hug them, what happens to them? They get wet. You get it on them. You get it on them. He's overflowing. And he expects his people to be the same. And this is the idea of a life where you walk with God. You overflow. You overflow with gratitude. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. When we come to him as a rewarder, we see this. And then this author says, Now the writer of Hebrews simply asserts that this is what faith does. Faith comes to God with the confidence that he is. And faith comes with the confidence that God will be a generous giver. Faith depends on what God is like. Pay attention to this. Faith depends on what God is like, not what we are like. You don't find out what Christian faith is by consulting your felt needs. And that is the problem of the church today. You are all consumers, and we need to find out how to meet your felt need. And we become what is called a seeker-sensitive church. What is your felt need? Instead of revealing who God is, we want to meet your need. And then we start to see God from, if he meets my needs, then he's a benevolent giver. You don't find out what Christian faith is by consulting your felt needs. God, I need this. You don't understand. 
The Lord is saying, no, you don't. No, I do. No, you don't. It's killing you. How do you find out the nature, or I should say, you find out what Christian faith is by consulting and understanding, ready, the nature of God. The more you know God, the more you know faith. The more you know what God is like, the more conformed to his greatness will be your faith. You see, when you study the scriptures, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. You read it. Don't just be a, a hearer, but be a doer. You read it, you do it, you're transformed into his image. You read it, you do it, you're transformed into his image. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. How can you grow in your faith if you're not reading the word of God? Is he only reading you're getting when I'm doing it for you? You are a baby and I have to put the bottle in your mouth and you suck on it. I loved it when my kids finally learned. And I remember watching this. They go in, they take the milk, and they spill it as they're walking over the counter, and they put it down. And they go get the cereal box, and they pour it in the bowl, and this thing would fall over the floor. And they pour the milk in, the milk would overflow, and they get their spoon, and they go and they sit down. I didn't care about the mess. I'm like, they have now learned how to feed themselves. <laughs> Praise God. Amen? And the Lord loves it when you open your word. You're growing. You're not a baby. You're growing in your faith. And how often do you need to read the word of God? Well, how often do you eat? You know, the old adage, two tigers live in a cage. The tiger of the flesh and the tiger of the spirit. And they're fighting. Which one wins? Anyone who's ever heard about dog fights, which dog wins? The one you feed the most. And if, and if you feel like you're dying spiritually, I can ask you one question. How's your reading going with the Lord? Probably not very well. It's a, it's, a, it's a direct barometer on how your Christian walk is going. So read the Word of God. I want to I share with you a couple final things. I love this. Enoch's testimony that he pleased God. And, and we know that the chief aim of man is to bring glory to God. Glory is substance. It's, it's this idea of having weight and, and purpose. And the more you walk with God, not measured by your steps, but measured by your character, and that you're not walking based on your felt need, you're walking in accordance with the will of God. Listen, what happened after Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended like a dove? What was the very next thing that the Spirit did? Didn't move him didn't lead him, drove him into the wilderness. Thank you, though. Drove him into the wilderness. And what was the wilderness? He was without food for 40 days. And then at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry. And that's not a joke. It means that he was at that place where the body is saying, if you don't get food, you're going to die. Because he'd already consumed you know, all of the extra. I would probably be able to make it for 60 days. Jesus made it for 40 days. And, and, and at that point where he's starting to die, the hunger pangs are saying, if you don't get something to eat very soon, you're going to be dead. And it was then that the devil came to tempt him. He said, turn these stones into bread, right? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus responded to every temptation with the word of God. What is the word of God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Jesus wasn't sitting there going, I've been without food for 40 days, and this is what you give me. You, you bring him in at my weakest point, and you were just dumping on me. And I'm so hungry, and that, just those loaves, of, uh, those rocks would be delicious. They would be delicious. No, 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 no. I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the Father. You may resent this. You know, my daughter, when you've heard the story, my daughter, when she cut her head and she had to get stitches, and the doctor said, I can't strap it down because the strap's going to go right over where the stitches need to go. Daddy, Dad, you're going to have to hold her head while I stitch her up. And I grabbed Molly's head. And she was two, three, I don't remember. I'm holding her head. And, and it was the worst because before we'd come home, Michelle and I were on a date, and the babysitter said that they were playing in a double stroller. Kelly got out, and Molly flipped over looking through the window and smacked her head, and it's a cut. And 
And the, and the babysitter, she was young and sweet, and she said, well, you're going to have to get stitches probably. And Molly's like, what are stitches? Well, it's where they take a needle and thread, and they sew your head up. And she's like, Arr! So she's already, like, chaotic by the time we get home. Daddy, am I going to have to get stitches? Daddy, and we got to the waiting room, and I'm sitting in the waiting room, and she's going on, and stitches, stitches, stitches. And the doctor, when we brought her in, the doctor had the bedside manner of Dr. Kevorkian. He's like, ah, that's going to need a few stitches. And it's like, thanks, pal. That did really help Molly. Ah! And she's just tense and frightened and scared, and they put her down, they're strapping, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And the doctor says, you're going to have to hold her head. And I hold her head, and she's, she's just screaming. And I'm holding her head, and she, she calms down. And she just tries to just, just assimilate all that she has remaining, and she says, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. I look at her, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, how can you let them do this to me? broke my heart but i didn't let go of her head and he sewed her up you look at her you can't even see where she got cut doctor did a great job and these are where we're going through trials and we just don't understand them daddy how can you let them do this to me papa abba you trust him and it pleases him it would have been a lot easier for molly if she said dad i trust you but he says okay i'm okay with it she would have Every muscle wouldn't have been sore from her tension and the angst and and all of your worry and your... Really, has that accomplished anything? It's done wonders for people who live with you. You've made their lives a living hell. And all you could have done is walk with God. I got Papa's hand. I know whatever he's going to do is good. I trust you, Daddy. Or you just tense and bark at the... Kick the dog and bark at your family. And some people even do the opposite. And you just... It's not good. And you resent that you're created for the glory of the Lord. You resent that you, you walk with him even in the trials and you trust him. You resent that he's not meeting your felt need. I don't want stitches. Too bad. Papa does. You're going to get him. Right? Daddy knows best. Is he really God? Does he really call the shots? Or are you still sitting on the throne of your life telling God what he needs to be doing? Enoch walked with God. And by the way, for all of you say, you know, what about the pygmy in deepest, darkest Africa or the Indian in the Amazon who's never heard the gospel? How, co- how are they accountable? They've never, no one's ever preached to them. They've never heard the gospel. Enoch. There was no seminary, no Bible college, no Christian radio station. There was no scriptures. He walked with God. It says in Romans that we all created subject to vanity. Every man is without excuse. We know God exists. We do. We have to fight and come up with some bizarre ideas to dismiss the existence of God. The Bible says a heaven scream of the glory of God. He watched the sun rise and the sun set and the earth sitting, you know, 90 three million miles from the sun, 5% further, we burned it at 5% further away, we freeze to death, we're held on nothing out in space. He holds all these together in the span of his hand. You look at the intricate fingers and you talk about evolution, how we've evolved and it's contrary to the second law of thermodynamics and everything reduces to its least common denominator and you just have to flush all that and the only way you can justify it is just add billions, billions. And you, you look at evolution and go, billions? Let's just take the energy that the sun has dispersed over its, its existence in, in our short ex- time 10,000 years and and let's just do the billions and add the energy the sun would be massive nothing would survive we go through all of this rigmarole we just how show me one transitional creature in evolution i believe in adaptation but show me one transitional creature and dismiss to the point where we've removed it in our textbooks we don't even want to acknowledge the existence of god even though the nation was founded with this idea that we've been created in the image of god forget it we're gonna do everything we can to dismiss the existence of god and the stupidity of it. Anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You diligently seek him in the trials, he's there. And Papa will hold your hand and he knows what's best. But take matters into your own hands, what does it end up? Look at two divergent streams, Cain and Abel. I'm going to do it my way. Abel says, I'm going to do it God's way. Where's it going to take you? What's it done for you so far? When you take matters into your own hands, you tell God, I, I, I got this. It's awful. 
You may resent trials on this earth that God wants to use it for his glory. You may resent that, but we're, we're not our own. I, Rob McCoy, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer my life, it's his. I gave it to him a long time ago. And I don't take it back. It's like marriage. <laughs> I give you my life. And you, you pledge that before God. You pledge it before the witnesses. And then you spend the rest of your married life trying to take your life back and defending that which you already gave away. Uh, you're not going to tell me what I, there's nothing wrong. And that's where the arguments come. That does a wonder for marriage. And what is it? It's selfishness. Marriage is a great picture because people want to find, I want to find a wife so I'm happy. <laughs> you are going to be miserable. Because the premise for you is somebody else is going to make you happy. Good luck with that. You're entering into marriage to bless somebody else, not so they're going to make you happy. And that's, that's the picture. We are the bride. He's the groom. Marriage is a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church. He gave us his life. We give us, he gave us his life. We give him ours. And then this mutual love is, a, is, is established where the two become one flesh, having the same mind being of like, like mind, having the same love being of like mind. And we operate in unity, in unison. I can close my eyes and my wife will go to sleep. It's this picture where the two become one in purpose. We walk together. Amos 3 says, how can two walk in, in accord if they're in, in differing opinion? He wants us to walk with him. And this is the picture. You may resent where he walks and what he calls us to do. You may not think it's fair. You may fight it. And you may live your life to please yourself and say, God, I'm, I'm going to put it on autopilot. I'm going to take it from here. You may not even care what God thinks. But that doesn't change the fact that he is God and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your purpose for being is to bring glory to God. You never find satisfaction or fulfillment until your life is pleasing God. And what pleases God? Faith. Faith in what? That he's God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Think about this. The basic purpose of a refrigerator is what? To keep food cold. Preserve it, right? Let's just say for the purpose of illustration that a refrigerator has a free will and says, I'm tired of being cold. I don't want to be cold. I want to be warm. So what do you do? You go and get the repairman. He comes out and he repairs this thing. Right? The condenser and all the other things. He puts all new ones in. I, something's strange here. We'll try to fix it up. You go to great expense to repair this refrigerator because the basic purpose of refrigerators is keep food cold and preserve it. And this thing has a free will. And it doesn't like being cold all the time. It wants to be an oven. And even though you've, ex you've spent a great amount of money to repair it, it still refuses to keep your food cold. What are you going to do with that refrigerator? Junkyard. What were you and I created according to Revelation 4.11? We were to, to bring glory to God. That's what we're created for. That the world would say that is a child of God. They walk with God. Their life has substance. The way they walk is not measured in the steps they take, but the life they live. And that's what you're created for. But you have a free will, and you say, you know what? Screw you, God. I always wanted to be an animal. I want to live for my appetite. I want to live for my pleasures. And God goes to great expense to repair you. And how did he do it? He knew that, that we were created as a trichotomy, a three-part being. Body, soma in the Greek. Soul, which is psyche, intellect. And pneuma, which is spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. When we sin, the spirit departs, and we're just walking around, and our body tells our mind what we do. Oh, drugs, I want that. Oh, sex, I want that. Oh, that. And, we, and we, we live for what we think is important as opposed to what God's word says. And we're broken. We're not supposed to be operating that way. You can, you can use a screwdriver as a hammer. It may work for a season, but ultimately the screwdriver will break down. And that's what happens to the mind and the body. It begins to break down, and we just... We're watching, I mean, you read any of Carrie Fisher's books, and, and it was a life of drug addiction and struggle and bipolar and, and indulgence, and, and you, it's 61, 60, boom, gone. Mom died, gone. And you just watch this. And we, this has been a year where we've seen celebrities just pass. George Michael, he was bigger than life when I was young. Gone, died with, in struggling with heroin still in his 50s. 
you just break down. The body's not made for that. You're here, like the refrigerator, you, you're supposed to make food cold. As, as a creature of God, you've been created to bring glory to him. When you live for yourself, you break down. God comes to fix you. How does he come to fix you? I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. And the way I've come to fix you is I've come to cleanse you of all unrighteousness through my son, Jesus Christ. And you receive him by faith through grace. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm going to re- reconnect that, that third part of your being which is this, the pneuma, the spirit. And you're, the spirit's going to dictate the, to the mind what the body will do. And you're walking in accordance with God. You're walking with God. And you're fixed. And he takes all of this and he leaves the glory of heaven's throne for the humi- hum- humiliation of an earthly cross. And he dies to fix you. And you say to God, I want to be an oven. And what happens? The same thing with the refrigerator. If you don't want God, he's not going to force you to be with him. And you step into hell on your own. To get to hell, you have to step over the cross of Christ and say, screw you, God. I want to be an oven. And you will be. Right? I'm just saying. And, And you wonder what hell is. Hell is a place where God isn't. You chose not to want to be with him. He came to fix you. You chose not to be with him. Faith, believing that God is. And is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Amazon or it doesn't matter if you're in deepest, darkest Africa. You recognize he is, he will reward you. He will bless you. It's impossible to please him without faith. You must trust him. You must believe in him. You must believe that God is. You know what? That's not hard. It's harder to believe God isn't than God is. I would just say this tonight, we'll close with it because there's only nine minutes left. I know most of the people in the room, some maybe not as well as others. I know everybody goes through seasons of faith like I have and continue to. And God is patient, i.e. Methuselah, but judgment's coming. We have a number of days left on this earth. How do you want to live them? And I would just say this, if, if you have lived the majority of your life just kind of dipping in and dipping out of Christianity and you really haven't come to a place where you've been diligently seeking God and you're kind of not sure and you're trying him out for a season to see if he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, I would say this, he will reward you when you obey him. He's not interested in meeting your felt need. He's interested in meeting the real need that you were created to bring glory to him, no other reason. He's not interested in enabling your life to continue in your sin. He's interested in establishing your life the way you were always created to live, to bring glory to his name. And he rewards you diligently when you seek him. He loves you. He's preparing a place for you that where he is, you will be also. And I, and I, would, I would leave all of us with this tonight. I have found it fascinating in my life that when I abandon the Lord for my own pursuits, my time in the Word is radically reduced, if non-existent. I would like to tell you as your pastor that I have been in the Word every day for the entirety of my life. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I think the reason why is because God wants to take the, the weakest member of the congregation and put him behind this wooden stand so that you can look at me and go, all right, I get it. But I can't tell you this and testify to this, that the times where I have moved away from the Lord and closed that Bible, and the very first thing I reach for in the morning is anything but the Word of God. I am robbing Peter to pay Paul. I am trying to finagle my way through life. I am trying to do whatever I can to keep all the plates spinning. And after a while, I break down. And I love it when I break down because it's at those moments where I go, God, forgive me. And then I get back in the Word. You know what happens when I get back in the Word? Trials become blessings. The the misery I've created, somehow he turns it together for good. I have no idea how he does it. If I could, I'm not at liberty to tell you what God just did this last Christmas season, but it was nothing short of miraculous. Nothing short of miraculous. Some of the staff members know. That's the Lord. 
And he, listen, I get it. You get caught up in life, and somewhere along the line, he just becomes back burner. But we walk with him, and faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God gave us Enoch, and if you're struggling, wanting to know how to walk with God, remember this. And the older I get, the more serious it becomes. As I'm watching people my age start to step off the face of the earth, Methuselah, the clock's ticking. And it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. And you'll stand before him and give an accounting of your life. You better be prepared. And you can get caught up in all the busyness of life, giving in marriage and drinking and being merry, and forget about the Lord when he's going to come. And 40 years maybe or however long God gives me, I'll be preaching from this pulpit. You'll be hearing these messages. But ultimately, it's your responsibility because God created you to bring glory to his name. Like he created a refrigerator to be cold. And he gave you the repairman to fix it. And if you choose not to do what he's called you to do, the consequences are not his, they're ours. Methuselah woke up Enoch. God put Enoch in here to testify in the hall of faith to say to all of us tonight, it's worth walking with God. Make your life count. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him and is a rewarder. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I can tell you that right now. I've been rewarded far more than any man deserves. And that's all God.